Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here um, in the studio or in the virtual studio with Brian from my team, and we're here with a very exciting guest, Guillermo Rausch, who's the co-founder of Vercel and the co-creator of Next.js. How are you doing, Guillermo? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've been really excited about this episode for a long time, um, and so maybe we can jump right in. Um, you know, I, I feel like Next is probably the most ubiquitous tool or product we've talked about on the podcast. But even so, I think it would be great for you to just give a quick introduction in case there's anyone who hasn't used it or hasn't heard of it, um, and we can go from there. Yeah, we think of Next.js as a modern framework and platform for front-end development that scales. It can start with one simple static page, but also scale to billions of dynamic pages. And it also scales well with team size. You can use it for your own blog, or you can use it for really, really large enterprise front-end applications comprised of multiple uh, front-ends, micro-front-ends, pages, and systems that um, spawn multiple different brands, multiple different domains, and um, really large organizations. And when you say framework, you know, Next is based off of React. So what does Next do that's kind of above and beyond what you get with just pure React out of the box? For sure. For many years, uh, React was presented as a V in MVC, uh, meaning it's sort of the rendering layer. I like to think of it as an engine. And what was missing was a developer experience around it. It was missing this idea of, okay, like when I'm going to create something for the web, I most likely need more than just the V and the view layer. I need an entire framework. So the React team recognized this early on, and they created Create React App, which is focused on single-page applications. Concurrently, we had been trying to solve the same problem. Hey, how do we create a platform and development experience around React because we loved the hypothesis of React, the functional programming style, the component model. But we had taken a different approach, which was more focused on multiple pages instead of single pages. And it was also focused on server-side rendering instead of just client-side rendering. So when you talk about scalability, many things that have driven a lot of the popularity of Next.js are that we looked at what are the top sites on the internet doing? What are the large things doing today? Well, at the time they were doing server rendering, they're still doing it, obviously. They were also focused on shipping as little JS in the client as possible and sort of hydrating selectively later on in the life cycle of the rendering. And we took a lot of inspiration from that. And even though we took a slightly different route, it ended up paying off over the long term because even a lot of folks that thought that their problem space was, I'm going to create a single page application. Later on, because of SEO, because of loading performance, realized that they needed a something more sophisticated, and I should I shall say more universal, because Next can run on the server, it can run at the edge, it can run on the client, so it gives you a lot of flexibility. And I think one of the things that people love about Next.js is it makes it easy to have an application that has both servers uh, server side rendering static site generation and then even like incremental static regeneration which is maybe a newer concept but at the same time that power you know i think some people maybe have a little trouble wrapping their head around that if they haven't like actively built an application that has all of those paradigms so could you explain those concepts and um yeah maybe like 
how people should think about choosing like which your app may need to employ for whatever its use case is? Yeah, for sure. One of the frameworks that I've always thought about is when I send you a hyperlink, you click on it and you go and request it from somewhere. Increasingly, the internet is becoming very globally distributed. So that somewhere ends up being the closest edge of an edge network. Next.js is part of Vercel, our company that creates an edge network to distribute front applications. So if I'm in San Francisco and I go to that hyperlink, we're going to hit the edge of San Jose in, uh, near the Bay Area in California. So what happens then is that that's your first opportunity in that little quick trip to come back with content, not just a shell of the application, to come back with, if you were going to a news site, to come in one hop back with the news information that you were looking for. So we kind of thought about it early on from this perspective of, look, let's make a framework that's as fast as the speed of light. Because what was happening at the time in the JavaScript community was, you were going to the edge and what you were getting back was this empty shell, almost like the iOS model, that you're downloading an app and then the app has to boot on the device and then it shows a spinner and then it has to fetch data and then it has to render data. So we looked at that and was like, wow, like that's almost the antithesis of the web in my mind because the web has this awesome ability to just like go and fetch everything all at once. So we kind of designed the framework around that and, and now these techniques are you know, have all these fancy names like server rendering, uh, incremental static regeneration, all those things. But they're basic, basically they're this idea of can we get content, data, and code all at once? And I'm curious, you know, another thing that I think people like about Next is it has a fair amount of opinions. And, you know, in today's day and age, there are so many different tools in the tool chain for modern front ends. And people like that, you know, you, you start using Next and it gives you a lot out of the box. There's, you know, kind of generally accepted ways of doing things. But as the creator of the tool, how do you kind of think about that balance between being opinionated, but also letting you know, the, the framework be flexible so that people can build things in the way they want and extend it in the way they want? For sure. There are definitely strong opinions, right? So for example, React right now is the React component model is very fixed into the framework. We actually have an option to replace it with Preact for certain styles of pages, but you have to use sort of the APIs of, of React and JSX and things like that. We think that that's a durable abstraction. It almost be like saying like the framework depends on functions or classes. When I think about the component model of React, I think it almost added a missing piece to the language. We have the basic JavaScript language in its runtime, and then we need the basic language on top to reason about UIs and pages. And we think that React added that missing piece. The other thing I always strive to do is like very minimal or no configuration, zero configuration ideally. So that's kind of baked into the framework as well. There's opinions around pages and URLs. Again, the idea is to sort of bring the old, in some ways, web 1.0 model and modernize it and augment it with JavaScript rather than do it in, doing it all in JavaScript. So there's some opinions about 
how routing works, which is sort of like this URL-friendly routing. Even when Next was created, a thing that would be popular at the time was like not having a lot of URLs or using hash for URLs and things like that. So that's another opinion. And beyond that, I think we're very, very flexible. So like you can bring in your styling system of preference. We think that uh, solutions like Tailwind are, are sort of becoming very standard and we integrate really well with those. Same with TypeScript. Not every project uses TypeScript, but TypeScript is becoming one of those de facto standards, especially in, in the enterprise. So there's a really good built-in TypeScript integration. So Next evolves minimally, I would say, but whenever there is an important trend that we see in the web and that we validate with ourselves, with our projects and with our customers, we think about integrating deeply. So I'm curious to learn a bit more about Vercel, which is kind of the, the company you've built around Next. Um, you know, what does Vercel do? How does it differ from some of the other uh, platforms out there? I think like Netlify kind of has some similar aspects. So yeah, what, what's uh, what's special about Vercel? For sure. So one of the things that I learned early on when I was researching React was companies like Facebook had developed front-end infrastructure teams that were tasked with conceiving the frameworks and the runtimes to scale this massive front-end code basis. When companies like Facebook, Google, and Amazon created such teams, most people were not even thinking about using JavaScript at all. So they kind of have this like 10, 20-year head start, right? And what I realized was, well, most companies in the world will never be interested in having such teams or creating their own frameworks or creating their own front-end platforms. But as the web becomes more dynamic, more interactive, more connected, front-end and especially JavaScript is becoming more important than ever before. So Vercel set out to solve this challenge of how can we deeply integrate framework and edge platform to provide you not only with the great developer experience, but with a great end user experience. A lot of the types of customers that gravitate towards Next.js are, for example, in the e-commerce space. And they demand a lot of great end user performance. It doesn't matter if the developer is in cloud nine with great you know, perf, great errors, great whatever, if the end user is not happy at the end of the day. So I think that's a really important differentiator um, that deep integration between framework and platform. Vercel is still agnostic to, you, you, you can use Next.js, you can use others, but Next.js informs the development in the platform. So we're not operating in a black box and sort of reacting to what happens in the ecosystem. Oh, there's this, that cool framework. What does it need? What, what cloud capabilities does it need? We're sort of shaping the cloud capabilities that will create that great DX and UX at the end of the day. Um, so one example of how we think about UX, when you ship a deployment on Vercel, we automatically get gather performance data from end-user um, devices that then inform the next cycle of development. So we can think of it as a complete feedback loop from developing, previewing your, your uh, uh, deployments, shipping, gathering data, developing, and so on. Got it. So essentially, by 
by building the hosting platform alongside the framework, you're able to, I guess, have that tight feedback loop and build the best possible developer Correct. experience and the, the best place to, to run your yeah. application. And sometimes cloud informs framework and sometimes framework informs cloud. So a good example is what we noticed was really exciting about the cloud was the rise of serverless. That now you could do this dynamic computation and scale it up to thousands of VMs basically instantly. And we saw we saw great opportunity there because we saw like that happens a lot with our kind of customers. Like you do an e-commerce drop. The other day, Kendrick Lamar launched his latest album or website on Vercel. Like we have all these spikes of traffic that are completely unpredictable. Like Kendrick did an email us and say, hey, like, by the way, we're gonna run a load test. No, because just like we saw like from zero to like millions of requests per second and like instantly. So that's an example of like cloud informs framework because what we did is like, hey, like what if Next.js instead of in the build process yielding this container, what if it could yield static assets and functions independently? And then the build and deploy pipeline can sort of optimize the cloud around that. So that was a case of cloud in interesting cloud advancements informing the framework and even the development experience. And then we're seeing opportunities in the other direction all the time as well. And so today, if I build a, a next app that utilizes kind of the full gamut of modern cloud uh, paradigms like functions, st static hosting, and uh, I guess uh, maybe key value store or something like that, like, can I... You know, I could deploy my app on Vercel. Can I also easily deploy on other stacks like Netlify or, I mean, like Amazon and Google? Um, or kind of what does the hosting landscape look like just if for whatever reason I, I wanted to, you know, maybe I already use a different hosting provider and I'm not ready to switch to Vercel? Yeah, for sure. So Next.js is an open source project. And we, we tend to think of it as Kubernetes for the modern age in some ways, right? Because instead of back-end focus, it's front-end focus instead of like, Lots of infra is basically like built on invisible infra. And you can kind of go the full spectrum, right? Like you can take next and say, well, I want to use all these outputs, but I still want to put them inside a container. I don't want to optimize. I want to do single region instead of global. I want to uh, handle my own sort of monitoring and then uh, metrics-based auto scaling of my container and things like that. You can go and do that. But then we, you're seeing the rise of these newer platforms that will go ahead and sort of optimize accordingly. The way that I think about it is, it, this actually happened also in the Kubernetes ecosystem back, uh, well, back in the day, still happening to some extent, where a lot of conforming distributions of the software emerged. So as long as like the API works, you, you can say that you're compliant, right? We saw that also with the big cloud platforms adding support for the different APIs. And I think the same is happening and will happen with Next.js, where, for example, Amplify looks at the Next.js build output and then optimizes it for their, own, for their own platform. And then sometimes they build their own integrations on top as well, like the Cognito integration, so that Next feels better integrated with each ecosystem. And as a business, um, you guys make money off hosting primarily. Is that accurate? Not really. So one of the things that uh, perhaps is surprising because so many developers 
think of it individually as, oh, well, I host my app there. Something that's really interesting is that there's an entire workflow that follows your usage of the platform. So the most basic is every time you push to your Git provider, we create a deploy preview. And this deploy preview actually shares the same global cloud infrastructure as your production deployment. So every time you push, you automatically get this pre-production deployment where you can sort of test, verify, and integrate with other systems. So what we've been noticing is a lot of companies are primarily interested in the workflow because maybe they haven't even hit prod yet. They're adopting the platform because it allows them to develop and preview better. And that creates a very interesting collaboration feedback loop um, from the sort of team perspective, but also across service providers. A good example is we have an integration with Checkly. It's a platform for headless monitoring and quality assurance. So every time a deploy preview is created, a headless web browser can kick in and verify that your deploy conforms to certain tests or certain verifications. The same can go for a variety of other integrations that you can build yourself or that are built in the Vercel marketplace. So once you sort of go through the workflow, you then sort of the last mile say, well, I'm gonna also deploy to production. It's almost like a different branch in some ways. That also has a slightly uh, more powerful optimizations, but again, it's a very comprehensive um, approach that kind of follows you throughout the entire development of the project. Got it. So you guys are really building a software platform around the developer experience of kind of every part of building a next Correct. app from you know first commit to production and beyond. And do you have customers who host on Google or Amazon but use your tools for that kind of workflow? Yeah, uh, one thing we've been noticing is once they try it for a workflow, they realize that <laughs> we tend to outperform and, and you know, uh, just shine in different ways that their existing providers don't. So what happens is like sometimes the workflow informs future decisions about hosting. Sometimes something that happens that's really nice is a lot of enterprises start adopting this modern front-end platform because they're in the process of breaking down a monolith. So we're seeing very common pattern. You had a PHP monolith or a Ruby and Rails monolith. Uh, you started creating native applications and those applications need to consume an API. So you started going through a process of rolling out REST or GraphQL, but then you're front and state a monolith. So you're like, hmm, these teams are working with this APIs and it's like really well organized, but my front end team is still like interpolating HTML with my SQL queries in my PHP code base. So you break it down and you deploy your front end over cell as a way of leveraging that existing API infrastructure that you're building. And that might be in your Kubernetes cluster, that might be in some API as a service provider. Uh, with e-commerce, we see a lot that folks are splitting, but also going to hosted headless e-commerce solutions instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. Or sometimes they're combining multiple hosted solutions. So what's interesting about the modern cloud is that we're kind of blurring the lines of where the software really is, right? Like sometimes it's in AWS, sometimes it's in Cloudflare, like, and the customer luckily doesn't notice they care about performance, but the developer also doesn't increasingly doesn't have to care as much. 
I heard you say kind of on that note, I heard you say in another podcast that the great developer experiences lead to great user experiences. And maybe you could expand on that a bit, because I think that's a pretty interesting point and um, maybe not something that's always intuitive to companies when they're trying to figure out their technology choices. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm a huge believer that developers always want to do the right thing. I, I've never met a developer that will tell you, well, yeah, I had a great DX. Um, I didn't really care about the user. I just pushed. I, I feel good. They want to do the right thing. What happens is that sometimes the tool and even sometimes the ecosystem can be antagonistic. So like we've seen this approach in the past where like DevRels on Twitter will be like, oh my God, that website is so slow. Like you should go and fix it. Almost like shaming developers. That doesn't work. What also doesn't work is, well, to obtain great UX, go and get three PhDs, uh, write your own compiler and inline some web assembly. And then you, there's going to be great UX. I think great DX and great UX will never be at odds because developers always want to do the right thing. It is true that sometimes there is more pain to guarantee a better UX. So a concrete example is, and this is a good example of Next and Vercel cooperation, Next.js has an image component. What it does is it optimizes your images such that each device, for example, if, if you're rendering an image on a phone, you want to ship a smaller image than if you have a huge monitor, for example. So that's table stakes, optimizing for the right viewport. What's also table stakes nowadays is you have to know the dimensions of the image ahead of time so that you can render the page in one nice pass and nothing jitters around and whatnot. It's tricky because knowing the image dimensions ahead of time does incur in some more pain. Sometimes your infrastructure doesn't know the dimensions of the image. Uh, your CMS doesn't know them. So that's a good example, I think, where, okay, it's clear that to get the best UX, there has to be some more arrangement, more care, more time. It's even more typing in some ways, right? Because like, the image element is IMG source SRC, and then width and and then I have to add width and height to prevent that layout shift. But we've done a lot in Next.js to to do two things. One is remove the pain. So, for example, if we know the images statically, we can now infer width and height automatically. Uh, if it's a dynamic data source. We document and integrate with CMS providers that know how to give you the width and height. And then the other part is education, right? When the image component fails and tells you, oh, you're not supplying width and height, that's where I think a lot of tools, and I really look up to the Rust community here in how much care goes into error message design. So typically what we do is we render a friendly error message that then is actionable, typically has a URL, and then it's an opportunity for education because they think that if the developer was just so like, width and height is not there, sorry, build error, you failed, right? <laughs> but if it goes to a link and tells you like, in, a, in an empathetic way, hey, like even with a little animation that says like, this is what would happen to your viewport and you probably, you probably already hate it as a, as a user of the web, right? I hate it when like things uh, uh, float around the page. Um, so if you have that empathy and then you provide the guidance to uh, the promised land, so to speak, I think developers will be happy and users will be happy. 
So it seems like Vercel and Next are, you guys are really leaning into the e-commerce use case. Um, I'm curious, like what specifically about modern e-commerce sites lend, lends itself well to you know the, using Next and maybe what are some of the items on your roadmap to really double down on that use case and make um, you know Next a, an amazing tool for e-commerce developers? Yeah, that, it's, it's such an interesting emergent thing that I didn't quite predict, although it doesn't surprise me that Next has been so successful with e-commerce. One of the, uh, when I first created, I needed to build a page. I always tell this story because it's so funny because I loved React. There was so much hype about React. And I just wanted a page that said, had my navigation, it had a little form, it had a footer with terms of service and privacy policy. And I just refused to like do all that on the client side. I remember thinking, so if you use React with a single page application, the terms of service get in line in the JS bundle. And I remember examining the bundle. I was like, wow, it's just a bunch of text inside JS, the JS file. And uh, I was like, okay, that's not going to work. And the other thing that I was thinking about was like the Vercel console. Yeah, sure. It could have been a single page app, but I really loved GitHub. I really loved how GitHub's console didn't have spinners all over the place. And their public repos are really well indexed on Google. So like, it's like, oh, it turns out that you can actually build a cloud platform and console that doesn't have spinners all over the place. And uh, so that was the initial inspiration. The fact that e-commerce and then ad-backed content became really big was almost like, a, I guess, good product market fit there. But I'll give you some things that I've reflected on on why I think e-commerce has become so big for us. So one is that the need for speed is very easily translated into dollars. So I recently tweeted about how one of our customers onboarded their e-commerce storefront without making major rewrites or new features and whatnot, and then lifted their conversion, their sales, sorry, by 16% just by replatforming on XJS and Vercel. And why? Like the answer is the speed. So if you, and obviously availability, like not crashing, a lot of other things could get into the mix, but if you make your e-commerce site faster, users are more likely to purchase. It's been extensively documented. So when VP of digital, VP of e-commerce, VP of marketing, and all these major e-commerce companies are making decisions, the developer has a very strong argument for Next.js. It's not just like they'll feel better. It's like, hey, I really think that this is gonna do, it's gonna change our business for the better. So that, that's one thing. The other one is SEO. I've talked to customers at major Fortune 500 companies that had gone the route of client-side rendering and lots of JS and saw their SEO drop dramatically. And SEO is kind of this weird, I'm not a huge fan of talking about SEO because LogRocket has done an amazing job, by the way, and love your articles. I don't like talking about it because there's just so much myth. Like it's almost like searching YouTube for like a conspiracy theory, right? But one thing that I think was very interesting is that there was all this like talk about how Google could actually run headless web browsers and they could render single page applications and they'll still be crawled. And to be fair to the developers that uh, went down that path, 
Google didn't really ever like very clearly because they don't really want to talk about the internals of the of the beast so much. So it wasn't that clear that it was going to hurt you. But when I've actually talked to really large websites, it did hurt them. It basically Google basically uh, will put your pages into a lower priority queue. It'll do less rendering. It'll perceive your site as a slower, so it'll hurt you. So for e-commerce, and for a lot of e-commerce, SEO is also very, very critical. So Next.js was also shining there. And the other thing that's actually perhaps less obvious, and I haven't talked about this much, is that Next.js purposefully was designed to not do backend at all, right? Like it was designed to query APIs. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do a full stack application. You certainly can, especially as databases are becoming more like backends as a service, right? With HTTP gateways, with things like Supabase. But Next.js took this uh, design of you can bring your data from anywhere. You can use GraphQL. You can use REST. Uh, I have customers that use gRPC. You can use whatever you want. And that meant that all these e-commerce customers could repurpose these investments that they had already been making, or as they move towards headless e-commerce happened, they could consume those APIs. So I would say those three attributes have made Next very just popular in e-commerce. Yeah, and, and I think also like on the subject of SEO, and Brian certainly knows more about this than I do, but one of the things with the, when it comes to SEO that's not as mysterious is that like performance matters and I think 100%. recently, especially like the past year, it seems like the Google algorithm has been leaning harder and harder into like performance as a, that determines rank. And I imagine like the abilities of Next to do server-side rendering or static site generation, those things are a big reason why it makes yeah, it and, and, and one interesting Yeah, one interesting thing that Google has done that I think it's, it's very commendable is they tried really hard to make the web fast with AMP, for example. And their ideas were really good because, for example, one of the things that AMP did was like thinking more about layout and how to make it more efficient, how to prevent layout shift, like all those things that we're already thinking about way back. But they took this really bad route of like, hey, there's this weird side internet that is faster. And it's faster sometimes, like the performance, like, was still kind of not like a huge home run. It's been documented in several places. So then they were like, okay, like let's st stay with the goal, the objective of making the web faster. And then let's put out this metrics that everyone can conform to, the core web vitals. So now they're saying, if you have good core web vitals, we'll rank higher your website on any given search. So Next.js has optimized very heavily for really good core web vitals. I was gonna add, the thing that's perhaps also lesser known is that where are these core web vitals obtained from? They're obtained from anonymized data from real world Chrome users, the Chrome user experience report, which in itself is also an open data set that you can query. So what's nice about that is that now we're sort of taking this holistic approach okay, I loaded Vercel.com or LogRocket on my Chrome. Did it load fast? Did it load slow? That goes as a data point into that report. And this is where another of the benefits of Vercel really shines is that 
we give you that data in real time. The Chrome User Experience Report lags by certain months uh, for, for good reasons, but you know, you get the report given to you later on and it might be a little too late and now your SEO has really not done well. So we inform you also from the perspective of the end user device and not just from Chrome, but from every type of browser, every type of device. And we kind of help you along the way because there's so much that the framework can also do for good web vitals. Something that we see a lot in e-commerce is, you know, you bring in a chat widget for the chat bot for real-time help for e-commerce, which is a really hot trend in e-commerce. And it loads three megabytes of JavaScript and it blocks the thread and it competes with the purchase intent. So that's going to throw your core web vitals, even if Next.js was or not in the picture. And that's why we need to take this holistic approach of, hey, like, Next will do what whatever is humanly and AI possible to make your site faster, but you also have to look at the data. So let's say I already have my e-commerce site built on a some sort of e-commerce CMS like Shopify, and I want to migrate my front end to Next. Do I have to build from scratch, or are there kind of pre-built templates that talk to Shopify and make it easy to get started? Like, how do people usually make that migration? Yeah, so something that's really popular is uh, our Next.js commerce template. So if you go to nextjs.org slash commerce, you'll be able to download a, an entire starter kit that works not just with Shopify, but with many other e-commerce backends and has really good performance out of the box. We even went ahead and added a cookie banner because we want to make the point that, hey, like a cookie banner doesn't have to like ruin performance also. So we tried and we continue to iterate on it to make it as real world as possible, incorporate all these challenges that e-commerce storefronts have and give you like 90% of the work for free so that you can get up and running really quickly. So that kind of also kind of rules out a common objection of decoupled front and back end, which is like, well, it seems more complex. It seems like it's more work. I think that there's good intentions behind that, but at the end of the day, the client server architecture is always there anyways. And when you look at the code and you see how easy it is to consume, for example, the Shopify GraphQL API, you'll see that it's both easy and performant. I'm curious, uh, we spoke on the podcast to Kyle Matthews from Gatsby a couple months ago, and they're really leaning into the integrations with like uh, other CMSs like WordPress. Um, is that an area of integrations that your team is working on as well? Or is that an area where Gatsby is maybe a better choice? Or generally, how do you think about Gatsby as kind of a competitor? Yeah, I think Gatsby is really focused on the static generation use case. I remember like years ago thinking really deeply about static because we started so dynamic and my initial intuition was like, wow, static is just a subset of dynamic. I used to repeat that phrase in the company a lot, but we realized that it's not enough to just say, well, just do dynamic because then you have some static stuff inside. You can also optimize for that. So we learned a lot from Gatsby and others in the ecosystem in terms of like, let's add this static features to Next.js as well. But we didn't want to say, well, like, there's a cap on the growth of Next. Like, 
if you use a static generation, you can only do like a thousand pages or whatever fits in the build process. And we also didn't want this like really long build times because that goes into the DX, right? Like if you statically generate a lot, like the, but the developers like having like 50 minute feedback loops is, is really not great. So incremental static regeneration was a technique that we devised for like, hey, like you can mark a page as a static and then we can also regenerate it asynchronously. So it has the exact same benefits of a static generation in that you can pre-render pages. The pre-rendering step can happen at build time for a subset of pages that you decide how many. And that's really nice because it gives developers some feedback about whether the integration with their CMS worked well or whether, you know, they're rendering correctly and they do risk the rollout, which is another feature that I really like. But then once you've shipped, you can continue to push static pages to the edge. And that's what incremental static regeneration enables. And that kind of solves that problem or false dichotomy of like, well, I can be static and cached or it can be dynamic and then like caching is not automatic. With incremental static regeneration, we did a lot to sort of move forward that conversation. And with the regards to your question about CMSs, it kind of goes back to my perspective that Next gets data. It can come from Prisma and be more like low-level ORM. As long as it serializes into JSON and then we can pass it to properties into React components, we look at data kind of holistically. So we look at data coming from e-commerce. We look at data coming from CMS. Uh, a lot of our bigger customers just build their own APIs, frankly, right? Like the, because they had already built them most likely. And those tend to mix content and data. We see a lot of this with GraphQL where like you may have a query that aggregates both content and, and more traditional metadata. I, I guess like to dig in there, d- definitely makes sense that um, you know, Next is kind of, I guess, agnostic would maybe be the way to describe it about like where the data is coming from to build your front end on. But certainly like Next.js Commerce seems like it's a, just a fantastic developer experience that it gives developers so much out of the box. And I, we were checking out um, a recent uh, Vercel Ask Me Anything post, and there were a bunch of questions from the community about kind of like what more can Next do to make it easier to get data from common sources. So like you called out Supabase earlier, um, you know, different backends as a services. So I wonder like, is there more on the roadmap to yes. just like make it super easy to- That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah, because writing API calls is never a good experience, right? Like we, we kind of saw how, I, I sometimes mentioned that if you're launching a developer product today, you probably want to make it a React hook or similar instead of a curl API call. Just because like it's just more relatable to and, and focuses a lot on really fast integration. So I think that on top of that layer, like I can make an API call using fetch and get some data. You can also build higher level component-based integrations for getting data. With one caveat, which is uh, if you're a very dynamic site, you have to be very careful of waterfalls. We are introducing ways that you can collocate data and components. And the technology that enables this is the introduction of suspense and some new technologies in React 18. So you can imagine a really awesome future where 
you're sort of bringing components that understand what data they need, or you're bringing components that know just about data and then can sort of help other components become full of data, so to speak. And that creates a better composing experience than just making like promise all chains or kind of writing very long GraphQL queries and so on. Data is always still a very challenging space because of what I mentioned, the waterfall problem and overfitting queries based on like what the customer is very likely to do afterwards. Like you can, it can get really, really complicated, but overall we think that over the next couple of years, the React data experience will change dramatically for the better. On that note, like, what are you most excited about in the future of, of hmm. front end, be it React or things specific to the next roadmap? What I'm most excited about these days is putting more and more workloads at the edge instead of on the client. I think developers tend to obsess about doing code golf with client-side JS, especially critics of React tend to say, well, like the React runtime is already too big. It's, it's a non-starter. Our answer to that is that, especially this comes from the experience of looking at how fast front-end code bases and monorepos are growing at large companies. The solution is never to tell developers to stop and not do their jobs or spend years and years and years code golfing to get JS from like, 80 kilobytes to 66. It's more, hey, let's leverage modern cloud infrastructure to put more and more workloads there. The cloud tends to be asymmetrically more powerful than the device. So we're going very deep in that trajectory. Um, the other one is what I kind of mentioned that uh, static is a subset of dynamic and really fully realizing that dream. Uh, right now, it's still kind of the developer has to choose, well, this page is incrementally static, this page is dynamic. We can combine with the a better data frameworks, we can create a much better developer experience there. Uh, and ultimately user experience because we're gonna be able to sort of stream in portions of pages at different times with different speeds, with much better sort of fault tolerance around component boundaries and a lot of other improvements. So it kind of goes back to that idea that kind of originated this all, which is that let's make, you know, next and Vercel as fast as the speed of light. We're getting very, very close to that, I think. And it's just exciting that um, we can, we can be, uh, we can make such a contribution. You've raised a hundred mil, over a hundred million dollars um, for the business. So, yes. And, you know, a very, very impressive list of customers. So it seems like you're building a really awesome business around Next with Vercel. We have a question from James Quick, who's been on the podcast before. What advice do you have um, for developers that want to become entrepreneurs? One thing I'm excited a lot about in, in the open source space is you can create an amazing piece of software that then gets augmented by a global cloud platform. And that means that I think the equation around like how easy it is to conceive a business on top of what you're creating is becoming, I think, more stable. It used to be in the past that, you know, this happened with Redis and a lot of pieces of software where you create something, then AWS grabs it, hosts it, 
and then AWS is a better job than the creator. I think we're entering a world where things are more balanced because what you're open sourcing is a version of that software. And when you think about what clouds are capable of doing today, it's very likely that the customer that is interested in using that open source software, for example, for self-hosting, doesn't want to operate a global edge network with 20 regions like Vercel with a full DevOps team and SRE team to sort of programmatically improve and deploy that. So I think this equation is becoming a healthy balance of like, look, like we can make it fully open source. There's zero, there's no pre premium, whatever. There's no gotchas, but platforms are here to make your job easier at the next level of scale. It's almost like the distinction that Snowflake's CEO uh, drew one time where he called, before Snowflake, a lot of the databases were um, kind of this idea of you take the database, you put it in the cloud, you call it a cloud database, but because you took the same amount of software, the amount of human resources, he called it squirrels that are behind the database, trying to like massage it and caress it so it doesn't fall over, were really massive. What we realized is that once we move into fully cloud-native solutions, we have new primitives to work with, new APIs, new power. And then you can create way more scalable things. And that certainly was the case for Snowflake. So I think that paradigm will continue to thrive. I think you know the next Snowflake will certainly be open source because there's no reason for it not to be. And then you can still create an amazing cloud experience, um, especially as the enterprises move very, very fast towards cloud. So you just announced Next.js Conf. Um, tell us more about that. Uh, what, what, uh, why should developers check it out? Yeah, so go to nextjs.org slash conf to claim your ticket. It's free, global, and it's our annual user conference. So it just won't be us. It'll be the entire Next.js community. It'll be uh, our partners. We talked about the CMS and e-commerce ecosystems that will all be there. Uh, we'll have amazing talks from the community. It's happening on October 26th, fully remote, online, virtual, and there are a lot of announcements and surprises. I'm, this is probably the most excited I've been about an event in a very, very long time. I know it's ours, but uh, yeah, it's just, um, it, it, in some ways it marks a new beginning for Next.js. We've kind of been teasing out the new things that are going into it, and there are some uh, spoilers throughout the page, but uh, do check it out. Okay, so one of the things that we've figured out after uh, 50 episodes of Pod Rocket is that it's a smart thing to do to ask previous guests what to ask future guests. Uh, and so Ben mentioned James Quick. Um, we also asked Swix uh, if he had questions for Guillermo, and uh, he has two. Uh, they both look difficult, um, which is kind of on brand for him. Uh, so we'll start with the first one, right? Uh, I'll just read it. Is Vercel keen on low-code builders on the front end, like Webflow, uh, and more capabilities like storage, authentication, workflow engines on the back end? Very much so. So one of the things that we've been noticing recently is a lot of our customers are building platforms on top of Vercel that compile down to Next.js and obviously Vercel websites under the hood. So Next.js, because it's so dynamic, allows you to dynamize the content even by hostname or domain name. So there's a bunch of extremely successful platforms that give you a completely no-code experience. 
But for example, when you drag and drop an image uh, or when you use an image or a video, they get everything right that developers sometimes, including myself, don't. Like we talked about the image example. So uh, my favorite example is super.so. It'll take any Notion page and convert it into a website. The website that it yields, if you inspect it, has, well, first of all, extraordinary core web vitals. It's an XJS, every page is an XJS page. All pages are prefetched, so they take advantage of our smart prefetching system. Every click feels instantaneous. All the images are optimized. And all of these things are, frankly, so hard to get right, even for developers. So the reason I'm so bullish on this kind of platform is I think of it as like automating work. Uh, instead of hiring a dev, you can hire, you can, sometimes you can do it yourself. Um, and it's just fantastic. So we have a lot of improvements in the pipe for making this use case even broader and, and, and more interesting for entrepreneurs, especially. There's, I think, now like 30 platforms like this on Vercel, probably even more. And so I totally welcome no code. That's one way of integrating into your, your stack where you build certain pages in these builders. Then you can use Vercel to do the routing. So you can say, well, start with my no-code provider and then fall back to my yes code. I've been using that term recently, my yes code pages. The other really cool one that I'm seeing is um, Next.js, especially with static incremental static regeneration, allows you to kind of go and build things asynchronously that could otherwise take a lot of time. So a lot of customers are using it to bring representations of components and layouts from a data store. And then that tool could be giving you a visual UI for laying out components. This is happening a lot in e-commerce where their marketing teams are constantly iterating with new offers, new promotions, uh, Christmas is special is coming up. So you kind of like, you want to have a really fast no-code builder for certain parts of the page. You probably don't want to touch the core essentials because those are heavily optimized by developers. Like the buy button might not be something that you build with a no-code tool because it's so dynamic, personalized. It has to run the right payment experience for each preference of you know payment provider. But the Christmas is special banner has, can be totally designed in no-code, low-code tool. So you can import those inside your existing Next.js pages. So those two use cases, I think, are going to grow a lot, and uh, I'm here for it. Mm. Nice. That was a thorough answer, too, so I appreciate that. Uh, okay, so this one's same, still from Swix, but uh, it's really about the business. Um, and here it is. Is the plan to grow in an Apple-like vertically integrated ecosystem uh, can that take Vercel to a $10 billion company? So we've always looked at Vercel as an open source, open platform company, right? Like if you fork Next.js and you build a better one, Vercel will be more than happy, especially Vercel has this sort of perspective on end user experience is really what we're after. It's like making the web that, you know, my children and my parents will enjoy using ultimately. So we're open on every side. The platform itself is open. We're actually about to launch a renewed documentation on how to integrate any framework and even on how Next.js itself is integrated into our platform. So there is no disparity on power that we have in order to integrate than you would have if you're a third-party framework builder. 
And it's especially very important to enterprises that tend to come to Vercel because they already built the framework. They're interested in Next.js because they want to offload all that work, but the framework exists. So you can onboard any framework, and then you can also use Next.js if you so desire, or you can use no-code tools in our ecosystem. So we've always thought the web is a really rich environment. We take the same stance with Next.js and all the CSS systems that exist. I think we support like two dozen. And I think that will always continue to be the way of the web. I think we do obviously draw inspiration from Apple in, in how they do things and express their brand and whatnot. But what we don't take inspiration from is like, hey, it's like our way, our API, or no way, uh, or, and restrictions all over the place. So that's I'm less a fan of. And we try to do basically the opposite. Okay, last question is from me, and it's mostly just for fun. I saw that uh, uh, you asked your Twitter audience um, to tell you kind of like what books that they uh, have reread, um, and then you put that kind of dump on uh, your site. We'll have the link in the yeah. wherever. Now, my question is, um, were there any titles on there? Because there were a lot that were- Yeah, I'm checking either, them out now. <laughs> yeah, like were, they, were there any that like you yourself were like, yes, I've read that a bunch of times or you were surprised to see or surprised to see omitted or like I said, there's a lot to go through so I don't expect you to know them all, but yeah. Yeah, I was surprised by a bunch mm -hmm. and also not surprised by probably the top 20. Um, for example, like the Steve Jobs biography is there. I think that's not super surprising. Sure. Uh, a lot of things about investment and, and, and financial technology interest developers, and, and this showed up in a lot of recommendations. And I think this is just a very interesting trend that we're seeing. Even in our platform, so Vercel has a lot of fintech companies, especially in the Web3 and crypto space. And we're very excited by, by that ecosystem. So I think developers are becoming just so much more interested in building finance, building and using financial technology. I learned that from that. Uh, factfulness is there, which is awesome because uh, one of our dear coworkers, Chibi Code, was uh, his claim to fame inside the company is that he translated factfulness as soon as he came out to Japanese. And he kind of, he was an early adopter of the book and translators uh, are very important in the distribution of books and actually they get royalties as well. So he built amazing websites about the book and whatnot. So I was really happy to see it there. My favorites, I, I really like Sapiens, cliche, I know, throw me under the bus, but uh, it's a great book. Uh, Lord of the Rings, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, a lot of the uh, Richard Feynman uh, recommendations. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really good uh, experience. And uh, I open source how I built it. Like it dynamically pulls the data from my Notion list of books. And then it builds and pushes this page to the edge. And like, you never again hit the Notion backend. It's just very, very efficient. Uh, and I love it. Yeah, no, it's, I, I thought it was real cool. I, uh, if you're listening, check it out. Yep. After, after for sale, after next, then go to the books. <laughs> oh, well, I think that that's about all the time we have today. But Guillermo, thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's 
Brian at LogRocket.